The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake, happy to be with you once again this week. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. It's playoff time. We'll talk about the playoffs to get you set for what you need to know. We'll talk about the issues of the week statewide and last week's games and keep you posted on what's going on there. Let's start with the weekend that was, because we actually put out a bonus episode of this show last week. Because as soon as this show dropped on Wednesday, within about six or seven hours, there were a couple big developments that we needed to talk about. One, the PHS South game was called off because of an outbreak at South. The South football team was placed into quarantine, so that merited us talking about that on a special edition of the show. The other was that on Wednesday night, it was announced on Metro News, Bernie Dolan, the executive director of the SSAC, shed some light on the playoffs. He said that teams in orange and red counties would not be seated in the final seedings that would determine playoff rankings. So it looked like on Wednesday that if you were a team in a red or orange county, if your county didn't get better by that Saturday's map, your chances of going to the postseason we're done. I don't know what kind of a phone system they've got at the WVSSAC, but he announced this, Bernie Dolan announced this, the executive director, on live radio Wednesday night. I would imagine they had some phone calls by Thursday morning to field, and that can't be an enviable task to do that. So, by Friday night, Bernie Dolan on live radio once again, for the second time this week, had decided he was going to change course on that after saying that they were not looking at a model after saying Wednesday. They weren't looking at a model that included C orange and red teams, and then later on determining whether or not those teams would go to the playoffs. The SSAC reversed course on live radio and decided the teams in orange and red counties would be seated. But if they did not get their colors, the county's COVID colors, to green, yellow, or gold by the following Saturday's map, they would not be able to play their game. In just a moment, we'll get to what happens to that game. Now, how this works, any game involving a team in a red or orange county is automatically scheduled for Sunday afternoon. It was originally going to be 1.30, but there were some alterations made to allow teams to have one day travel to and from the game and not have to stay at a hotel or not have to be in a hotel the night before and then find out their game was canceled the next day. Uh, I know there's a couple 3 o'clock games on Sunday. There's a 5 o'clock game even with Princeton and Wheeling Park. But automatically, I want to say close to half, if not half, of the state's playoff games will now be played on Sunday, a day of the week that a month ago we were not able to see high school sports played. Because of this swift change in the rules, that opened the door for teams in counties that are orange or red. And locally, that includes Wood County. We had almost signaled the death knell for Wood County and their team's playoff hopes, PHS, Williamstown having fine seasons. It looked Wednesday, based on what Bernie Dolan had said on live radio that night, it looked Wednesday like the season was over or about to be over for Parkersburg and Williamstown. And that had to be a blow that was further exacerbated by the fact that neither one of those teams played. Say they had missed the playoffs and the metrics had gotten better, they could still play regular season games by the end of November, but hopefully that won't be needed. They had to think it would have been hard for some of those schools to see their seasons come to an end without the closure of playoffs, without even the closure of a final game, knowing that you weren't going to get to the 
the playoffs, but uh, not knowing that that time you walked off the field was your last time. So basically, this was a lifeline. You got another week's stay of execution, that if the COVID metrics lined up in your favor by Saturday night, then you could play. This affects several games in this area. As you said, Wood County is an Orange County, so Williamstown is set to host Tulsa in the first round. PHS set to host Spring Mills in the first round. Both of those are Sunday afternoon games, but the metrics for Wood County have to be better by Saturday at 5 p.m. or else that game doesn't get played. Right now, Wood County is in the orange on the COVID metrics map. It also affects St. Mary's game because the Blue Devils are set to play Wheeling Central in the opening round and Wheeling Central is from Ohio County where they are also in the orange status. So any game that had one or both teams in orange or red was automatically scheduled for Sunday afternoon. Otherwise, teams could pick Friday and Saturday as planned and there were a lot of allowances made. It's not the usual 7.30 Friday night, 7.30 Saturday slots. There are games all over the place on Saturday too. Again, to ease the idea of staying overnight. And they don't want to put teams in hotels. They don't want to put teams that far from home. They want to make same-day travel more feasible. So there are a lot of mid-afternoon games on Saturday so teams can get up, load up, go to the game, play the game, and then come back without having to do that necessarily at 5 in the morning and without having to put kids in a hotel room and people that might not even get to play the next day in a hotel room. How this works, as best I can discern, the county that status led to the game move to a Sunday. If that county's metrics improve, they can play. And if the other county is still good to play. If their status does not improve, then the other team would advance. But if their status improves and the other team's status actually gets worse and they're upgraded to an orange or red, then the team that was originally able to play the game will be the one that moves on and then they have a week to try to get their metrics back down. So we may not see a lot of playoff football at all. We may see all of these games happen. That seems kind of unlikely, but on one hand, you want to criticize the SSAC for changing the rules on the fly and changing them so often. On the other hand, we're in the middle of a pandemic that doesn't care about rules, customs, or traditions, and we're trying to do things that are based on rules, customs, traditions, and here's another one, fairness. I think at some point, you've got to try to understand that they're doing the best they can to maintain fairness and to be fair to everybody, and if changes happen, they happen in an effort to improve the system. There is also an issue here because the soccer and volleyball postseasons in particular were adversely affected by the COVID metric map. And this has a lot of soccer and volleyball parents up in arms because if things changed for football and the rules are being tweaked to allow football teams more leeway and more time to participate where they weren't for volleyball and soccer, what gives? And there are a lot of teams in this area affected by this. Payton City and Magnolia are not going to be able to play in a volleyball state championship. They're probably two of the best teams in the state. They're very upset about that. And that's in part because of the superintendent's decision in Wetzel County to shut down Wetzel County extracurriculars because of an outbreak there. And there's a lot of issues there to get into. We, we won't do that but because this is a football show. But either way, there's there's a lot going on. The state soccer tournament was even temporarily held up over a lawsuit at the AAA level that only got cleared up about a half hour before the tournament was supposed to start. So you would have had teams, if that didn't get cleared up, you'd have had teams that made the trip to Beckley, stayed in hotels, and then all of a sudden, whoops, no tournament, come on home. And that thing could have been indefinitely delayed for a very long time and led to a very ugly situation. So we've already seen lawyers get involved in sports like volleyball and soccer and controversy in sports like volleyball and soccer and teams see their seasons come to an unfortunate end because of the COVID metrics map. They're doing everything they can, they being the SSAC, to make sure that doesn't happen during football uh, where you may have entire communities 
upset with your organization. Previously, the SSAC had announced that they would release their pairings after the COVID metric map was released. They announced that on Wednesday. However, the Friday announcement meant that they really didn't have to do that. The COVID map wouldn't have as much to do with whether or not the games could be played because they were going to seed schools regardless of what color status their county was in. But even with that, it seemed for a while like the SSAC was going to hold back until the COVID metric map was released. And if you follow that, that map comes out religiously every Saturday at 5 o'clock. It has except for the first couple weeks when it was 9 o'clock and then they moved it up to 5 o'clock. And it has come out on the nose or pretty close to it in every week but this one. The one where there were more eyeballs focused on that COVID map than in any other week. This is the week it's delayed. And it led to a lot of speculation that there was some shady wrangling going on behind the scenes. This is more a Department of Education and a DHHR thing than it is an athletics thing, but they had to know how many people were going to be looking at this map and paying attention to this map. The official explanation was that there were some delays and errors in tabulating, and they needed more time to do that, which is fine. That's acceptable. But be transparent about that. Get the word out at 3 or 4 o'clock and say, hey, we're not going to have this information out there for you right now. It's going to be a little later into the evening. Let people know, because people all around the state were laptops computers scrolling through smartphones looking for this map to come out and it wasn't coming out and that just made the process look a little shadier than it needed to be and made it look more suspect than it needed to be not saying that it was but you certainly got people looking in that direction and thinking that by having a delay to the map that comes out religiously at the same time every week that was not a good optic and i understand that these are education and health people that have far more important things to think about now than optics but when you're managing a public crowd crisis and a public emergency, you do need to think a little bit about optics. And I know that whether or not you can play high school football in a particular county is the most important thing that those folks need to be thinking of right now, but a lot of people were looking in that direction. Therefore, there was a particularly large amount of attention and possible criticism focused on these organizations to make sure they had their ducks in a row this week, and they weren't able to do it. And that's a shame, because it made those organizations look like they were trying to fix the numbers in a certain way to benefit counties. It didn't seem like that was the case. If you looked at the daily map Thursday or Friday, it was pretty much the same as what you saw on Saturday. In other words, it wasn't like 50 counties were lit in green and the rest were in yellow and good to go. That's not the way the map worked. Long and short of it, the SSAC ended up releasing their pairings before the map. After the map was released, some time started to trickle out when it became apparent that most of those games would have to start or at least have those games that would be played on Sunday. And then by Sunday morning, the traditional time that we get sites and dates, the rest of the field was set. So this is going to lead to a bit of a lag, by the way. We're still going to be reconciling the opening round when some teams are going to be looking to make plans for the second round. Does this delay the pairings until Sunday night or even Monday morning for the second round or the third round or beyond? It's going to be a lot tougher to compile those things and get people together and schedule these games in subsequent rounds. This is just a year where we're all going to have to adjust to some different things, and I think this is part of that. Part of that is understanding that we might not know some things on the timelines that we're used to expecting. We saw that with the election. Uh, it took a little longer for the election results to come in, and this is kind of the same thing. It's going to take a little longer for these results. That might lead to some trouble for teams, whereas 
because you previously knew who your opponent was going to be at the latest Saturday. You might not know until Sunday night in some cases who you're going to be playing. That's 24 hours less to prepare for somebody. If you're a school that's played your game Friday night or Saturday afternoon and your opponent doesn't play until 3 or 5 o'clock Sunday, that's a significant advantage. There are a lot of teams that use that Sunday, a lot of schools that use that Sunday, and coaching staffs that use that Sunday to prepare and watch film. Uh, We'll see how it plays off. I think those are minor things to worry about in a year of a pandemic. But even so, it'll be interesting to see if we're able to pull this off with any kind of success. Not a lot of action around here last week, so let's get into last week's games. It won't take us long. Ritchie County rolled over Calhoun County. They got two touchdown catches and a touchdown run from Gus Morrison to pace the Rebels in a 42-14 win. Ethan Hawk threw for three scores. Dakota Wayne, Blaine Bowie, and Graydon McKinney were all involved. It's about how you'd want to see Ritchie County enter the playoffs. They come in off of six straight wins. They're getting contributions from all over the place. They look to be healthy. They look to be back from the time that a few people missed based on contact tracing under Rick Hot, That coach of the Rebels actually was out himself a couple weeks ago because of contact tracing. He was down some starters in a couple of those games. They look to be ready to go and back in full force for the postseason. So they move on with an 8-2 and two record. One of the few teams, I think the only team in this area, on the West Virginia side to get 10 games in. And they go 8-2. and two. And I know there's a pandemic going on, but you still have to recognize the fact this is one of the best Ritchie County teams in school history. Uh, there have been a lot of great Pennsboro teams, a lot of great Harrisville teams, and a handful of Ritchie County playoff teams as well. But pound for pound, this may be one of the best Rebel teams they've had ever. Their two losses have come by one possession or less, one point in the case of Doddridge County, a team that, by the way, they may meet up with in a state semifinal. The bracket looks good for Ritchie County. We'll get to that in just a second as well. But the Rebels roll 42-14 to over Calhoun County. Ripley wins an ugly one in the battle for the hatchet, 21 to nothing. And the reason it's ugly is that's a halfway decent Ripley team. And they beat a Ravenswood team that is not a good team this year. For one, they had just one win. And for two, they were down some players because of COVID or COVID issues. So a team that is not very good and was shorthanded, and they gave a AAA team a pretty good game. Ripley, they're going to go to the playoffs. They're a 21 nothing winner over Ravenswood, but still not the way I would think the Vikings would want to go there. Fort Fry continues their run in the Ohio playoff bracket as we step into Ohio. The Cadets won a regional title. They're now on their way to a state semifinal. They defeated Fairland 47-7. They'll face Springfield in the state semifinal Saturday in a game that I believe I saw is going to be played in Zanesville. So good luck to the Fort Fry Cadets. No one else was in action in the area. St. Mary's, Tyler, Williamstown, South, PHS, Magnolia, all of those teams idle. Goes back to the theme that I had out there at the beginning of last week's show. Are we really pulling this off? Well, we limped to the finish line in the regular season and it's going to take some more convincing for me to believe that we've pulled it off until I see a postseason that's played to any kind of completion. And it's going to take a lot over the next month to make that happen. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Now let's take a look at all three brackets in the West Virginia playoffs, looking at Class AAA. Number one, Campbell Midland hosts number 16, John Marshall, Sunday. Number two, South Charleston welcomes number 15, Ripley, on Sunday. Number three, Musselman hosts number 14, University, on Saturday. Number four, Martinsburg welcomes number 13, George Washington, Friday night. Number five, Bridgeport hosts number 12, Washington, on Saturday afternoon. Number six, Spring Valley welcomes number 11, Hurricane, on Sunday afternoon. Number seven, Wheeling Park welcomes number 10 Princeton on Sunday evening and number 8 Parkersburg hosts number 9 Spring Mills on Sunday 
afternoon. First off, let's talk about who's not here, and that's the Morgantown Mohegans. They lost to Bridgeport last week in a game that I expected to be a little closer than it was, a bit of a runaway for Bridgeport, but that's a Morgantown team that finishes a 3-3, three and three, and they played some darn good football teams in the six weeks they had. They showed when I saw them against South that they were a better team than a lot of people might have them to be. The points didn't match up for them to get in, unfortunately, and as I've said a couple places, I think the point system in West Virginia works now when everybody has 10 games or close to it. You're going to have some teams every year that only get nine, only get eight for whatever reason. But this year, when you've got so many teams that don't have 10, I don't know that right now it's a fair indicator of who belongs where in these seedings. For instance, Cabell Midland at number one, they've only played five games. South Charleston at number two, they've only played five games. Washington at number 12, they've played nine games. And then the Mon County schools have only played six each, Morgantown and University. So the litmus test is a little skewed. We don't have enough of a sample size to determine, yet here we are with a very incomplete looking field of playoff teams. So Morgantown probably is a team that could beat a handful of these playoff teams, and they're on the outside looking in. That's a real shame, although Sean Beiser's in his first year as a head coach there, and you have to think that what he's building there will get them back to the playoffs in subsequent years. It's a shame for this year's bunch, but they look to be going back, and they look to be on the upward swing there. You have to look at number four, Martinsburg, as a real sleeping giant, and a potential second-round matchup between Cabell Midland and Martinsburg will certainly add some intrigue into the postseason. That's a game that could be a title game in a lot of years. South Charleston got in last year as a low seed. They were just 4-6 and six a year ago. Played at Parkersburg South in the opening round. They have a load of young talent, and they're a very dangerous team in this field. Thanks for playing, Ripley. They're 6-3 and three at number 15. A good team, not a great team, and they're no match for South Charleston. It'll be interesting to see Musselman. They come in at a number three with Blake Hartman, one of the best players in the state, leading the way there. Bridgeport is a dangerous five. Spring Valley is a really dangerous six. And I think one of the best games in the state is going to be Princeton at Wheeling Park. Princeton is a team that hasn't been all that great for a long time. They've been in the playoffs here or there, but they had a really good season together and put together a six and two year. Head coach Chris Pettigo getting things going on the right track. And they've got a Wheeling Park team that might be one of the best park teams they've had in a few years. They had Cross Wilkinson at quarterback a few few years ago, and Bo Heller is not nearly in the league of Cross Wilkinson, but he makes good decisions. He's very smart, and he's accurate with the football. He's got a lot of weapons, and because of that, that opens up room for a sneaky good running game. So I think Princeton-Wheeling Park is going to be the game of the week in the state this week, and that's a 5 o'clock Sunday game in Class AAA. I might try to find a stream of that somewhere and keep that on an iPad while I'm watching the Steelers and the Bengals. And then the 8-9 matchup, Parkersburg hosts Spring Mills. We just don't know a lot about these Berkeley County teams this year. Martinsburg, expect to be good because they're Martinsburg. Musselman, you know Blake Hartman. And then Spring Mills is a team that has not garnered a lot of attention this year. So I think they'll be in for an awakening of their own when they see Bryson Singer and the Big Reds. But also the Big Reds may be surprised a little bit. I know all that stuff's on film. They've been watching Huddle. But it seems like in these playoffs, everybody manages to find some wrinkle and something new to show teams. And there's a lot of teams that do that. I did a game a couple years ago where South played Hedgesville in the first round. And Hedgesville won and they did it using a guy at quarterback who hadn't played quarterback all season long. It was just something new that no one had seen. And that was an adjustment for Parkersburg South to make in that game at first. And just one example, but teams do that kind of thing in the postseason. John Marshall's a team that's got a good running game. I don't know that they're good enough to give Cabell Midland fits, but they impressed me running the football. But then again, they were shut down by PHS. So I don't know. I think this one might go a lot of chalk in the first round. But uh, watch out for Princeton at number 10 and watch out for what could be an amazing, 
amazing quarterfinal round of the postseason and some matchups that on their own merit could be Wheeling Island matchups. Uh, we played a couple weeks before the Super 6. In Class AA, you've got number 1 Sissonville hosting number 16 Elkins on Friday night. You've got number 2 Bluefield welcoming number 15 Clay County Friday. On Sunday evening, you've got number 3 Frankfurt hosting number 14 Independence. You've got number 4 Liberty Raleigh hosting number 13 Herbert Hoover on Friday night. You've got number 5 Oak Glen welcoming number 12 Point Pleasant Saturday afternoon. You've got number 6 Fairmont Senior hosting number 11 Braxton County Friday night. you got number 7 Con- on Sunday afternoon at home against number 10 North Marion, and then on Sunday evening you've got number 8 Robert C. Bird against number 9 Polka. RCB is a sneaky good team. I think they are going to show what they've got. Polka had a strong season last year, so that might be a really competitive game also in that 5 p.m. Sunday slot. I still think the favorite here is Fairmont Senior. Fairmont Senior is the team that actually went and knocked off Spring Valley, the giant killers themselves, as they went and knocked off Martinsburg. Something to be said for that. Frankfurt and Kaiser, both at home this week. We don't know enough about the Mineral County teams. And those are two schools in red counties, by the way. Their metrics have to get way better so that game can be played. Liberty Raleigh's been sneaky good all season down in Glen Daniel. We'll see what they've got for Herbert Hoover. Oak Glen got a lot of attention last year, and they're going to play a perennial power in Point Pleasant. So I think that'll be an interesting game. Probably good for Oak Glen that that's played on their turf. Bluefield at home against Clay County. Clay's had a good season. Of course, we know how tough their season was last year. They played in the game where Roan County's Alex Miller died during the on-field issue, and that was emotionally and mentally tough on that group as well last year. They're into the playoffs, but no easy task as they'll draw number two Bluefield, a perennial power. Again, a lot of chalk looks like it'll be had here in the first round in this double-A bracket, but Point Pleasant could go on the road and give Oak Glen a game, and I definitely think Polka is going to give Robert C. Bird a handful in round one. And looking at Class A... Number one, Tug Valley welcomes Tigerts Valley on Sunday afternoon. Number two, Greenbrier West, unbeaten at 8-0. They'll welcome Madonna at 7.30 Saturday night. Number three, Doddridge County hosts East Hardy at 1.30 Saturday. Number four, St. Mary's welcomes Wheeling Central at 1.30 Sunday. Number 12, Buffalo visits number five, Midland Trail Sunday afternoon. Number six, Williamstown at home against Tulsa at 1.30 Sunday. On Saturday afternoon, it'll be number seven, Ritchie County against number 10, Ward County. And Friday night, it'll be number eight Pendleton County at home against number nine Moorfield. Moorfield and Pendleton County are two of those schools. I feel like when the Metro News Power Rankings come out, no one really knows where to stick them because we don't know enough about them in the area of the state where most of the voters come from. So we really base a lot of it on what we saw in the playoffs last year, what we see from common opponents, not necessarily of each other, but of common opponents of teams that people in a particular area know. So I think this is going to be a chance for one of these two schools to step up and stake their claim for why they belong in the postseason. Tug Valley is going to be a really interesting case because Tigers Valley comes in at 7-2. and two. They've played three times as many games as the number one seed, Tug Valley, who comes in just 3-0. and oh. They're going to have an uphill battle just proving that they belong in the postseason, much less are a team that's worthy of a state championship. Greenbrier West is finally going to play some competition that will allow them to prove they belong. Doddridge County has the rust fallen off from their long shutdown in the midseason. East Hardy's always a tough matchup. St. Mary's Wheeling Central might be the game of this classification. St. Mary's at 8-1 and one with a tough, tough draw in the first round. And here's the storyline that's the juiciest of this. Two weeks ago, Wheeling Central wasn't in the playoffs. They were on the outside looking in. But who calls them up and offers a game? Williamstown. Williamstown throws them a lifeline, albeit they did it because they thought they could beat Wheeling Central. And I still think they can if they give them their perfect game, which they did not a couple weeks ago. But Wheeling Central wins that game, and then they beat someone last weekend, I believe it was Petersburg. And all of a sudden, instead of 4-3 and three and out, 
They're 6-3 and three and in. And who do they get? They get the biggest rival of the school that threw them a lifeline. It's St. Mary's that hosts Wheeling Central. Midland Trail and Buffalo, that's a rematch of a game that actually went scoreless into double overtime earlier this season. Tulsa and Williamstown will battle. Williamstown will face the physicality of a Southern West Virginia team. But again, Williamstown's got a bruising offensive line, so I think they can match up with that. Wart County is at 5-2, and two, and they get into the playoffs once again. Jason Hickman's squad will face Ritchie County this year. The Rebels are 8-2. and two. Rebels will see a team that maybe isn't there yet, but Hickman's had a decent playoff run in his first go-around as the Wart County head coach, so if he can motivate a team to play one big game, this might be it. So the Rebels had better not come in sleeping on Wart County because the Tigers can lurk in the grass and pounce at any point. I see some more upsets in Class A because this is a class, I think I said this on Tara Malone's show over the weekend, I think Class A is the class where the rankings are the most jumbled. Look down these rankings. You've got St. Mary's at a 4, Williamstown at a 6, Ritchie County at a 7, but you've also got Wheeling Central at a 13, and they're set to go head-to-head with St. Mary's in the first round. That's a toss-up. Anybody could win that game. That's a game that could be a state championship game if the draw had fared better in this round, in, in this class. Classification. I think East Hardy is going to give Doddridge County everything they can handle, but I think Doddridge County ultimately prevails in that game. They've just had too good of a season, too many weapons there. Madonna's got a long trip on their hands against Greenbrier West, and I think Tug Valley is able to step up and show they belong at least this week if that game's able to be played. Buffalo Midland Trail will be interesting to see if some offense comes from that one after the way things went the first time. Williamstown's going to be in for a dogfight, but they should have enough to get past Tulsa if that game happens. Ritchie County, as I said, gets past Wart County, I think, but it'll be close. And that's a, a group of Tigers that can upset Ritchie County. And it's a toss-up between Moorfield and Pendleton. Both of those schools looking to prove they belong in the postseason. Those are three interesting brackets. I think if I were to give them a grade in school, I would give them an I for incomplete. We just don't know enough about a lot of these teams to determine if they are where they belong in these brackets. We'll see. Either way, I think it's going to produce some interesting matchups. The games of the week here on our stations, Light Rock 93R will have a doubleheader this week. Saturday, it's Ritchie County and Wart County. Coverage begins at noon with countdown to kickoff. We're live from Ellenboro at 1 and the kick between the Rebels and the Tigers at 1.30. That's the game we know that will happen. The game we're hopeful will happen is on Sunday as Wheeling Central visits St. Mary's. That's a pregame show at 1 o'clock, kickoff at 1.30. And on Sunday, Parkersburg hosts Spring Mills on WVAM. Games of the week in the area. I've got one in each class. I'm going to say St. Mary's Wheeling Central is the game of the week in Class A just because that is a matchup that could be played for a state title in a lot of years. This year being one of them. Point Pleasant, Oak Glen in Class AA. Point Pleasant's been good a lot of different years. Oak Glen is emerging in the last couple of years. Johnny Come Lately versus the newcomer on the block, but the newcomer on the block is at home and wanting to prove that they deserve to stick around for a little while. And then Wheeling Park and Princeton in Class AAA, as I see it, that might be the game of the week in the entire state. Princeton wants so badly to prove that they can make a run their good football team. This Wheeling Park team might be, if not the best at some positions, at least the most complete overall they've had in a few years. I think that should be a whale of a game on Sunday evening. St. Mary's Central in Class A, Point Pleasant, Oak Glen in Class AA, Princeton Wheeling Park in Class AAA, but again, the Central St. Mary's and the Wheeling Park Princeton games only happen if the COVID metrics allow. And that's why it's so tough to do this episode because there are so many games that we can talk about and get excited about, but if they're a Sunday game, there's a chance those games don't happen. The Friday and Saturday games, it'll be something that will happen between now and then for those not to happen. Contact tracing that knocks a team out. A COVID 
COVID case within a team or an outbreak within a program, that would knock one of those teams out. But the Sunday games are a complete jeopardy of not happening, and we'll know that by Saturday night. That Saturday COVID map the next few weeks at 5 p.m., buckle up. That release is going to be a pretty highly anticipated item. So again, those are our games, the games of the week in the area. Since Parkersburg Sound's regular season finale against PHS was canceled because of COVID-19, my broadcast partner, Garrett Furr, and I did not get a chance to share the things at the end of the broadcast that we would like to have shared with the listeners and to sum up the season at large. So I asked Garrett to do that on Countdown to Kickoff this week. It'll run Saturday at noon on Light Rock 93R before the Ritchie County Ward County game. But I also wanted to share those thoughts here. So now we'll sum up the 1-7 Parkersburg South Patriots as Garrett Furr joins me for that. Garrett and I did not get to wrap up our Parkersburg South season on the air. We talked about this throughout the year in a lot of settings. Play every game like it's your last game. Well, we enjoyed the game that we did in Week 9. That in turn became our last game. That in turn became our last game. So we were the living embodiment of that mantra. Yes. The Parkersburg South Wheeling Park game ended up being our last game of the season. So as such, we didn't get to say a formal goodbye to our listeners and sum up the season. But for Parkersburg South at 1-7, and you have to think it's a bit of a disappointment only because of how much talent was on that roster. Say what you will about comparing one team versus last year and how fair that is or isn't. But the talent that's here and the record, it's not a match. There's far more talent on this team than the record would indicate. Yeah, there's no denying the talent across that whole roster from your first guy on there to your last guy. And what comes with that talent is is expectations. And you get expectations for a team in the offseason rolling in, you know, you get this hype and stuff, you get a little bit of build up around the program. And then when you're you know you're let down throughout the season, you are you are going to be disappointed. That's just human nature when you have expectations you're let down you get disappointed for Parkersburg South it didn't go the way they wanted it to but to see the smiles and stuff on on those kids faces at the end of the Wheeling Park game that tells you what you need to know it's it's bigger than wins and losses and and coach Tanner does a great job at at preaching that to his kids as well what Parkersburg South lost is that last crack at PHS and a chance to pick off a big opponent because PHS would have come into that game at six and two but what they get they do get a last game they played their last game at home so they took that senior walk across the field. Little did they know it was their last game ever and not just their last home game, but still there was a sense of finality about that. Does that soften the blow a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look back on it as a senior class and you look at all the things your class had to go through, your team had to go through, it is kind of a feel-good moment, you know, to look back on that final walk at Erickson and just know that you're able to have that during this very uncertain time and just be able to have that with those guys that you've been through for 10, 12 years, some of these guys, it, it means a lot. I know that the year didn't go the way that a lot of the seniors would have wanted. I'm looking at guys like Sam Schuler, who had waited a long time to get to start at quarterback, and the results weren't what he had hoped. And I know someone like Devin Gaines, who battled through some injuries this year. What will you miss the most about looking at some of these players that we're able to see? Gabe Hendershot is another senior that was a leader on and off the field. And I know I'm missing and leaving out tons of people. You look at the receiving core, loaded with seniors, Francis go hogs and Levi Rice. What will you miss the most from this group? What will you take from this group? From this group, it's a never-say-die group. They're very resilient. You know, you ever saw them hanging their heads in any of these games throughout the year, and there, there were some that got a little ugly for Parkersburg South later in the fourth quarter, and yeah. you never saw any letdown in them. You never saw any quit. They're on the sidelines. They're always chatting each other up, talking to each other. You never see them, you know, without their helmets on the sideline. That's a big thing. You see guys over there sitting down without their helmets and stuff. They're not interested in the game. They're not playing it in the game anymore. But they're all over there. They're all still buckled up, ready to go, no matter what the score is. And that, that says a lot. These guys are bought in to the program and to each other. Well, I'm going to miss that from these guys. I'm going to miss watching, you know, you mentioned Sam and Devin, those two especially. They're a lot of fun to watch. 
both offensively and defensively. But a lot of talent leaving this program this year. But the younger kids are going to have to step up just like any other any other season. It'll be a new chapter. Nathan Tanner looking forward to getting this group in the weight room. They've got plans for how to get this group in the weight room and what to do with them. Do you see strength and conditioning issues as a detriment to this year's team? And will the work in November and December, because we do face an uncertain 2021 as well, will that at least pave the way to a better 2021? Yeah, I think the offseason, it's becoming more and more obvious which of your programs have these really strong off-season workout programs, and their conditioning is, is far and above the rest of AAA. Last year, Parkersburg South was, was definitely one of those teams that was in the upper echelon of, of conditioning in AAA. And this year, whether it just be the athletes or, or the COVID and combination of the two, they just weren't quite at that level that we had seen them last year. So I, I do think that was kind of a hindrance for them a little bit. You can't make any excuses for it, and I, I'm sure Coach Tanner's already, like you said, got it. he's got some schedules made up, he's got some things planned out, and they'll they'll be in the weight room a lot this, this winter. Again, I know we spent a little bit of time here on the 1-7 Parkersburg South Patriots, but Garrett and I didn't get to say a formal goodbye on the air to our listeners and, and sum up the season, so we appreciate your indulgence in letting <laughs> us do that here. On behalf of our sideline reporter, Randy Kinsolving, Garrett and I would also like to thank our listeners, the fans, the administration, the students and staff, the student athletes, the coaches, the players, and everybody involved with Parkersburg South High School for allowing us to be involved in your community and for the accessibility and for the access this year and the year where that was a tough thing to grant. I want to thank our sponsors and our advertisers as well for allowing us to do this, and we ask that you continue to stay with us on Parkersburg South Sports on V96.9 as we'll have basketball season coming up soon. Not really sure how we'll get through that, but we hope to get through that as best we can to provide the coverage that you're used to expecting from all of us. But again, on behalf of Randy and Garrett and I, a sincere thank you to the Parkersburg South community for all that you do for us on a regular basis. Download us every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or through SoundCloud. You can find new episodes there if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Thank you for your support this week and every week throughout the season. And again, we'll do our best to keep you updated on the developments as they come. We had the special episode last week. It merited it. And who knows? By the time most of you get your hands on this, some of it might be irrelevant. I might have to go put out another addendum to the episode just a few days later. But we'll try to get through this weekend and then regroup and have another episode for you next week. That's our show. My name is Eric Little. Thank you for joining us once again. And until then, until we talk to you next week, enjoy the games, everybody, and enjoy what we have of the postseason. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.